It's time for everybody's favorite show about the great state of Utah. It's the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, free defender of all that is woman, Jeremy, the daddest of dads, Jessica, producer extraordinaire, and Chris, pretend radio leader of the show. Well, it's uh, episode 203. Uh, we're uh, um, <laughs> deep in coronavirus. Um New Utah social distancing podcast. Yeah, Skype has some unique challenges. Um, when you forget headsets, um, sometimes you use gas station headsets, and they're not the greatest, <laughs> as we're finding out. We'll see how they come out and post. I don't really know. But if you do hear this loud um, magnetic humming noise, that's that's Jess getting ready to talk. <laughs> you can, if you don't, microwave. hooray. What? No. Oh, you mean hooray if it's not if it doesn't come out in post? Yeah, like if it, because we don't know how Skype's going to record it, it might yeah, not record it. I don't know. And sometimes Skype does weird shit. Like the quality of the sound is fine for us, and then like it sounds tinny when I get the recording from Skype. It's really weird. Uh, but we're all here. Uh, we have two very special guests uh, that have done some pretty amazing work. They're part of a really cool organization that we'll talk to uh, called the uh, Better Days Twenty Twenty, uh, which is really about. Uh, awesome women in the state of Utah um, and women's suffrage and it's 150th anniversary of that. So there's, there's a lot of cool stuff that we talked to them about. Um, I'm not going to lie though. Um, the whole COVID-19 thing has got me pretty fucking depressed, especially today. I've been having a rough day of it. So um, I don't it's know. It's been a challenge for all of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. In a bunch of different ways. Like I'm, I'm torn in like, do I think all human life is precious or is there a certain percentage that's probably okay to, to, to move on? And um, we learned some hard lessons about how we deal with these sorts of things. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I sound like a very uncaring piece of shit sometimes in my own head. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, but, you know, some people were meant to not live. Like, that's just nature, right? People die. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'll just tell everyone I'm pro-abortion. Jeremy, Jeremy put this crying, <laughs> crying emoji. That's so I just, inappropriate. I look Jeremy. up and all I can see is a giant crying emoji in Jeremy's screen. <laughs> Oh, man, we should not let him Skype in anymore. <laughs> You're the one that's saying that people should die. I mean, look, we all know I'm pro-abortion, so um, I don't know. It's, that, uh, okay, that's not the same thing. I mean, kind of, right? No, it's not. It's a high mortality statistic. The number of it's not the same thing at all. It's just Sean. Sorry, yeah. I, I I apologize, folks. My daughter that lives in, in Salt Lake is now... Uh, doing her homework at my house sometimes because she needs a, a PC instead of a Mac. So that's all good. That's all good. So, um, speaking of coronavirus, Jeremy, um, your kids can travel now. Is that oh yeah. I mean? Their passport showed up last week. So we're ready for our cruise. Um, <laughs> wait, you, when is your cruise with your kids? Indefinitely now. When was we, it going to be? Well, well, we, we weren't sure because we did our cruise last year, we've gotten lots of, well, we're getting lots of really cool cruise deals. And so we thought, hey, if the kids had their passports and something popped up, we'd be ready. So that, so. Still, still the case, by the way. 
that, that still does apply. Is so all four kids got them? No, just, just two at home. home. You did well, the older ones, we, you're like, we sort of have three at home, home at the moment, but that's a technicality. <laughs> but yeah, the two the two younger ones. Yeah, that's that's a good that's good. It's good to have a passport, honestly, um, that you'll never get to use now um, right. because we'll be in constant quarantine. So <laughs> we're supposed to go to India in a few weeks. Um, that's not happening. My tickets actually already got canceled by Delta, um, which was kind of a bummer. Today we got the notification, um, but I mean, they're it's all crediting back, but. India has extended their lockdown. So if we think our lockdowns are bad, India's lockdowns are way more severe, um, like martial law style lockdowns for the most part. Um, and in India, they've extended theirs to May 3rd. That includes no international or domestic air travel. Period. In and out, right? All the airports are shut down. The only trains and seafaring stuff that come in are stuff that is bringing consumable goods like food. And essential items like cleaning supplies and medical supplies, and that's it. So one good thing with this lockdown, there has not been a school shooting in over 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> but domestic violence has gone way up. So that's I think true. there's a, you know, people got to get their, their anger out somewhere. So Everybody's tired of being at home with everybody else. Well, I'm not tired of being at home. Well, I mean, here here's the thing that a lot of people forget, like, Look, I, Bree and I are fortunate. I don't see her all day. She, it's like we're at work. <laughs> we're at work at different offices. Like my, she's my coworker. In a sense, I go upstairs when I need a break and say, "Hey, I love you," and give her a kiss and spend two minutes talking to her, and then go back downstairs and go to work. But that's not any different than the amount that we probably talk online anyway. Is that allowed in the workplace, though? Can you say those things in the workplace? Uh, I probably shouldn't grab her ass in the workplace, <laughs> but that does happen on occasion when she stands up. Um, but I think like a lot of people forget like you love your kids, but when you're used to your kids not being home or you being at work all day and then you're together all day, like that's not easy for people. Dad, 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 mom, mom. Mom, mom. And it's the same thing with a husband and a wife. Like, you might love your husband or your wife a lot, but when you're not used to working from home, we're fortunate. We both have spaces that are secluded from the rest of the house that we can... We're about as far away from each other as we can get and still be in our house. But we also have actual office spaces, essentially, where everything is contained in a room that we can close the door and walk away from. But when you don't have that, when you have like, you know, husband and wife, one's on the living room couch or both are there or both are at the kitchen table, plus the kids doing their homework, like you're all on top of each other all day long. That's not bearable after a certain amount of time. Like people. Yeah, how do people in tiny homes do that? Oh, fuck. <laughs> so that's I a, know. I mean, that's a real concern for people, unfortunately. I, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much you experience it, Jeremy, because you kind of live that in the summer in a sense. Nah, mine's a little bit different in that I've been doing it for most of my kids' lives now to where they're used to it. And then, yeah, during the summertime when they're off for the the three months, right now things are running basically the same way they do. So I'm lucky in that my kids are used to me working from home for so long. So they know you'll you'll beat them if they don't shut up. Right. (laughs) So for us, it hasn't really been that much of a transition other than the whole homework thing and all that's been a little bit different. But but the being home with each other, not so much because we've done it for most of their lives. What about you, Essential Jess? Are your roommates also essential or are they home 24-7 right now? Um, 
the one is out of town right now. Um, I don't know when he'll be back. Unfortunately, his grandfather has cancer, and so he is staying with his family. And um, Ron is working from home. He has a job that he can um, work from home. But I bet he's, he's excited because like, now, now he never has to leave the basement, right? No, like he's... Ever. He's way over it. He told me the other day oh. that he can't wait to get back to the office. Yeah, probably because um, his office is cleaner than his basement. Yeah, there's less oh, clothes no, on the he floor. Just, no, he just cleaned the whole basement because I had to get a pipe replaced last week. So um, he cleaned it. It was amazing. So, did, he anyways, do, did he do any loads of laundry? Um, he didn't do laundry the last few days, but it was more about getting two sinkfuls of dishes upstairs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like combing through a shag carpet and finding all the silverware I've been asking for for two years. So, anyways, I couldn't deal with that. I would go fucking bananas. And the other one, I don't have any idea. So, I don't know. I'm not home. I'm at work. So, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I was just curious. I was just curious. So, um, how was everyone's Easter? So, that happened. That was was a thing. It was actually a thing that it happened. Was Easter? Yeah, the, yeah, Sunday was Easter. What? Oh. Yeah, so, exactly. So for our Easter, uh, Ibu had chicken wings. So we. That's I, not. That's not good. Were they boneless? Oh no, bone in. Yeah. Oh, that's not a good feather, thing. Feather on. Feather on. Oh no. Uh, so baby so one? they weren't baby one of the babies. Oh. So. So we, I sent I sent Ibu out uh, Saturday night. Well, I sent both the dogs out Saturday night like always, to do their evening duty. And Rocky comes right back as usual. I'm doing other things, so I'm not paying that close attention. And then I realize it's been a while. It's probably been 20, 30 minutes, and Eba doesn't stay out that long in the dark. And the rain, if you remember, Saturday night it was raining. So I look out, and I can I can hear him barking. I end up having to go out there. He's standing right in front of the chicken coop just going nuts. So I have to smack him to get him to stop doing what he's doing, and he comes back in. Well, the next day I go out there, and there is a chicken wing sitting in front of the chicken coop of one of the teenage chickens. It's one of its wings. And so I I see the wing, and I'm like, oh, no. So I go into the coop, and I'm looking all around for a dead chicken, but I didn't didn't see a dead chicken. And then I I soon realized it's not dead. It's walking around. It's just missing the wing. Um, The kids started calling it Lefty. So, so, so lefty, it didn't actually kill the chicken. No, but it ripped its wing off, so it's missing a wing. So, so I, I ordered a muzzle for Ebo. It's just a soft muzzle, and it showed up today. And uh, it, it's funny because all of the instructions are in Chinese. But see, if, can you guys see this? It's called the doo doo pet. The doo doo pet. Because I guess because if your pet needs it, he's in deep doo doo. So. Maybe Chris is right. Maybe it's the dodo pet. The oh, maybe. Pet. Uh, maybe. So anyway, uh, yeah, Ebo is in trouble. He did not kill the chicken. So we've been watching it the last couple of days, and it seems to be okay. It's just missing a wing. How weird is that? <laughs> What's the best name out of the, the new chickens that the kids have given him? Lefty for this one because it's missing its left wing. Yeah, that's thanks to Ebo. Survivor. <laughs> you should call it Survivor. Survivor. <laughs> I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. I don't know if they've named them like they used to. We've had chickens for so long now that they used to name them all, but I don't. They they 
they've kind of gotten away from that because they they realize they're not going to last forever. They die quicker than anything else. Well, like they four do. years, maybe five years out of a chicken. I think old uh, Lefty's not going to last that long. Maybe, I don't maybe know. Lefty will last the longest. I If Lefty lasts, if she's still alive in about a week, I think she's going to survive, but we'll see. That's just fucking dog, yeah. man. The whole wing, like at the joints, like the whole wing's laying on the ground. That poor so is chicken. there like blood and stuff everywhere? No, not like it's hardly any blood, which was weird. What the fuck? Your dog's a dick. I know. She's had a taste <laughs> for chicken and. I, and at his age, he can barely get up the stairs, but he can mutilate a chicken. Dude, they're free food. <laughs> so that was our Easter. Wow, that's fucked up. I cleaned the house for our Easter. I used my new shop vac. I, uh, I took Easter my... Easter Bunny bring you a shop vac? No, I bought a shop vac for myself a while ago, oh. and I'd, I've been wanting to start cleaning out the vents and stuff slowly and stuff, so I started in our room slash uh, the, the master bathroom, and I did the front room vent. But uh, the next trick would be the girls' vents and probably, like, the dining room vent. So you're taking the vent off and like, and I'm like sticking the hose down inside there because it's a shop back, so I don't care if it sucks something big up, right? Getting all the weird stuff out of there. Yeah, I mean, like I've done. So the the one in our bedroom wasn't too bad. It had a piece of carpet backing in there from when I put carpet in the house ten years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the one in the family room, I've. I've tiled in there and Sean, when it, when there was carpet in there and no furniture and she was in school, she used to sit in there and eat cereal. And so like sometimes pieces would fall down the vent. Um, and I never wanted to stick my good vacuum down there. Like, and really the kind of vacuum that I have, it's not, the hose isn't super bendy, so it wouldn't have gone very far anyway. Um, so that's just been, like we needed a new shop vac, and I decided that was going to be its new its first project was to be going to be to start working on my spring cleaning. So cool. that's what I spent Easter doing. I took my dog on an Easter egg hunt out in the backyard. Yes, he did. <laughs> I I grabbed a few of the Easter eggs that Bree had for decoration, the little plastic ones. Put hot dogs in them. Ah. Put the hot dog in them. Hit them around the yard. Um, did scent training with her. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. And some of our missing Why tennis balls were magic. I did. I've got lots of videos of it. Oh, why didn't you post I put, it? I did on Snapchat. He doesn't ever post anything. It's on Snapchat. It was <laughs> on my story. But we magically got a, a bunch of our tennis balls from the neighbor. I mean, it's not magic. He just finally went into his backyard and was like, why the fuck do I have a dozen tennis balls back here? I don't buy tennis balls. Because, like, I have a problem where I chuck them. Sometimes I throw them over the fence directly. Most of the time, because I don't use, like, dog tennis balls. I use tennis ball tennis balls, which are way bouncier. Um, but like they'll hit the ground and sometimes bounce over the fence. And so I have gone through, there were like eight tennis balls, not even exaggerating, at least <laughs> eight tennis balls that I had lost. They all got returned, which was kind of nice. It was really weird. I went out to the shed to do some stuff and I was like, Hey, there's a tennis ball. And then Chris came back and he's like, Hey, I think all the tennis balls came back. <laughs> it was an Easter miracle. So was. that was nice. The dog appreciated getting her balls back. Well, on uh, Saturday we set up. Uh, Sean's bedroom because her bed from Ikea came and that took all day but um, Jess did you do anything? Did you make cakes? Did you make Easter cakes? Uh, no I didn't do anything on Sunday except for lay in bed. That's actually 
maybe Good nice, for you. right? Like that doesn't you happen never stop. for you very often. Uh, except for every day. <laughs> no, I didn't do anything. I didn't celebrate. I didn't have any fancy food. I didn't do anything. I did. I had a cake on Saturday, but it wasn't an Easter cake. It was a birthday cake. Was it a penis-shaped Easter bunny? <laughs> no, they just. I told you they decided to postpone that until next year. It we could have been an Easter bunny time. with a big dick, though. Oh, I can suggest that to him. <laughs> I think he would be all over it. He Chris, might. We need an update on your car situation. Um. So, as I suggested last week, as I thought, um, in our crazy hectic episode. Um, they totaled the car. Um, you know, our insurance I've had other than when they wanted to non-renew us cause they're ass wipes, um, <laughs> from, from a non-claim that's neither here nor there. Well, just FYI folks, if you have a, ho- a house claim and you're not actually going for sure, going to claim anything against it, just don't report it. Don't call the insurance because company they count. until you're sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, uh, it was a total loss, um, but in less than a week's time, it was completely tagged, uh, agreed on a settlement, um, paid out, and now I'm shopping for a new car. Um, and I will say this. I fucking hate car shopping with a passion. It's one of the worst things to do because car salesmen, you know, I know there's some good ones out there. I will say Carl Malone Toyota I've never had a bad experience with a car salesman there. I've also never bought a car from there because I've <laughs> never been able to find one that I liked. But that's not the point. Um, but uh, the most car dealerships, you go in, you take a test drive. They talk to you for 30 minutes about shit you've already learned about and don't really fucking want to hear, but you're trying to be nice. Uh, and then they try to keep you there as long as possible, and they try to make sure you love that exact specific car that you drove so that you'll drive away with that car. And I don't understand to this day how the fuck people go into a car dealership, test drive a car, and buy it the same day. It's not a small decision. It's a massive decision, both financially and life-wise. Like, I expect whatever car I buy, my expectation is that car is going to be with me for the better part of 20 years. Like, I expect my car was 10 years old almost, and I was expecting to get another 10 years out of it. It was unfortunate that it was in an accident, but that's how I operate with cars. I'm going to drive them until they're just not worth fixing anymore. Um, so I'm really annoyed when I go into a car dealership, but I will say with coronavirus in play, <laughs> there is. There is some silver lining, which is I have yet to have in in five different test drives now any of the folks. I still get the stupid, like, typical car salesman, like, well, let me tell you about these features. Let me tell you why our car is better than the other car that you're looking at. And I'm like, I don't fucking care what you have to say. I want to know about the driving. And I can look up everything that you have to say and read it and digest it and consume it in my own time. But I don't really care about that. That's fine. But they've all been like... Here, here's the keys. Go take it on a test drive. Uh, except the Kia key dealer, he was a little weird. They were going to make me sign like a rental agreement to test drive by myself if the guy didn't go in the car with me. So they trusted us together, but not you by yourself? Yeah, I don't know. I look kind of <laughs> shady. Maybe because of what I was wearing. I don't know. I was wearing jeans instead of like a nice button. Yep, down. you have a button-up shirt on. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Um, and I'm not talking shit on the key dealership. I just think that's a weird policy that they have. Um, but uh, drove five cars. No one tried to keep me there. We had the Subaru guy made us sit down for a second. 
I'm not sure what he was doing. The Honda guy probably would have, but it was getting later. Um, the Kia guy, I didn't sit down with him either. I just talked to him for a few minutes afterwards. It's been really great. They're like, okay, here's the card. They're like, we're doing everything online. If you want us to come to your house, we'll come to your house. And we thought that was fantastic. Um, and we should always sell cars like there's coronavirus. Shit, yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. This has made the experience so much better for me um, overall. So I'm still trying to decide what I'm going to buy. I'm not in a super huge rush, uh, but I've been able to go on some test drives. And, and it's been kind of nice because sometimes, I don't know how it is with you guys, but sometimes I'm soured on a car by the sales experience. Like I try not to be. I try and remember, you know, the salesman isn't going to be driving around for me with me in the car, but sometimes I get so frustrated with the salesperson. I just, I don't want to go back. I don't want to have to deal with him again. I don't want to just see him or talk to him. And so this is all about the car this time. So it's been nice. I do wish I liked Volkswagen so that I could frequent Jess's business, drop off some porn. She likes Socks. that. Yeah. Socks. So you can come complain about my dealership too. <laughs> no, I didn't. The only one I complained about was the Kia dealership and not really complained. It was just, it's a weird policy. Do you guys do a rental agreement whenever they take a test drive? Uh, no, we don't. Yeah, that's really that weird. I, I, I mean, we have loaner agreements, but those are for like people who are getting over 24 hours yeah. for the service done. But, or if they're like waiting for the car that they bought to like if they have repairs or something. Yeah, I mean, I've been test driving cars for years by myself without the dealer with me. And, like, in in four different new car purchases, that's the first time they've ever been like, oh, we got to do, like, a rental agreement paperwork for you to take the car because it's weird. Whatever. Just just as a little weird experience um, that now everyone but knows now, about. But now you, you got it down to two cars. Yeah, narrowed it down to two. I'm really looking at the the Kia um, Forte and the Honda Civic. I did not like how I really, really wanted to want a hybrid. I did not like how the hybrids drove. It just it's a really weird, very uncomfortable experience for me. Um, so and uh, so yeah, I think I've narrowed it to two cars. Um, we'll probably have a decision sometime in the next week or two. And it's kind of nice. We're not in any kind of rush because uh, with us both working from home, yeah. we don't have to drive anywhere. So. No, in fact, that's how we didn't notice that my tire had a really oh, bad yeah. hole in it. <laughs> so we drove down to St. George to pick up Sean, and I guess the next time we got in the car, I noticed that my tire pressure light was on and mentioned it to Chris and we just kind of thought it was an air temperature thing or whatever and so we put some air in it and then uh, Chris drove it to work on Monday and the light was back on again when he came out of work and he took it in today to get the tire hole (laughs) repaired and apparently my tires were so bad I ended up having to buy all four new tires. That sounds fun. Yay! I mean... It was kind of nice though, because they were supposed to be fifty thousand mile tires, ninety or ninety thousand, yeah, ninety thousand mile tires, and they only went fifty, and so they gave me a credit on on all of them. Basically, half the money on each tire back. Yeah, so it didn't end up costing as much as it normally would have because they gave me some credit back. So that was kind of nice. But now I've got That's new good. tires. Yeah. Uh, speaking of um, COVID and cars. Um, 
You should write that down. Let's get it all COVID and cars. COVID and cars. So speaking of COVID and cars, what's with? Have you guys noticed all the damn accidents? Like really bad. Just accidents. recently, like the, everything was clear for us so long, and now we've had all these. So major we've got like accidents. my accident, which was pretty major, but not on the level I'm talking about. Like over the past week, I think we've had three or four people die along the Wasatch Front in pretty horrific tra- traffic accidents. That one on 114th that shut the freeway down for like two hours. Well, yeah. There was one up north north that shut the freeway down for I several hours. I think on I-80 or 201. And it's like they're, they're, they're people going way too fast. Yeah, it's, it's people who don't see any traffic. And so they, instead of just going their normal speed, they're, they're going over 100 miles an hour. Which is not safe. <laughs> Not on Utah roads, especially not if you've been through, like, Lehigh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, that road's so bad. No way, man. I drive that every day. I could drive that in my sleep. (laughs) It is so horrible. And I didn't even have to drive it. That was terrifying. There are lines missing and... And lanes going all over the place. and I could just imagine trying to drive that in the dark or in the rain. Or both. Uh, the, the dark isn't actually bad, but the rain is pretty, pretty treacherous. It is just fucking the Wild West over there. I hope they get done with that soon. Uh, so there's some events, maybe? I don't know. There's some it's online really stuff. like events. I just wanted to talk about a couple of things, and I wrote one down on here that I saw as I was leaving the office. So one of our new stations, KSL, which is Channel 5, um, one of their anchors is retiring this weekend, and his name is Keith McCord. And I did a little bit of research, and he has been with KSL since 1981. Wow. I know. It's pretty incredible, huh? So his last broadcast will be... Uh, Sunday night, whatever, the 19th. Um, also, I just wanted to mention, since we've been talking about restaurants that are doing um, delivery and curbside, um, our friends with Raclette Machine Food Truck are doing, you can hop online and you can order kits. for. Um, they have a French onion kit, and then they have a sandwich kit and there's one other i think and then um, you place your order by wednesdays i believe and then they deliver them on fridays so that's really cool you can just go to their website um, they just I'll drive around to. on the truck and drop them off yeah yeah that's awesome it's that's awesome cool. um, and then also salsa del diablo they are doing um delivery as well of their salsas and then or you could also arrange to pick it up at their um their kitchen, which they just moved, so I can't remember the address. You can also um, buy their stuff at Harmon's as well. You can, yes. And Peterson Not their Farm, chips, though. Their market is open, and I believe that Peterson um, Farms carries their salsa as well. So, um, Kudos does, too, don't they? Not sure about that. But their I chips are, like, sure. the best. I love Those their tortilla chips. Our salt Lake. Did you know that? Yeah. Um. Green Thread Herbs, also a past uh, guest of ours, I almost said customer, a past customer of the New Utah Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) He is Uh, not a good customer. He didn't buy anything. (laughs) Right? So they've been actually offering online courses. Um, I reached out to see if they have one coming up because I didn't see it. They've usually been on Mondays. Um, But if, you know, you want to know a little bit more about um, herbs, about um, Eastern medicine, stuff like that. They've had some really cool online classes. 
And then the last thing that I, I didn't write any more information because I just wanted to hear your opinion kind of on the fly. But Salt Lake City is talking about closing some roads so that there can be more pedestrian traffic on the actual roads. How do you guys feel about that? In downtown Salt Lake? Yes. Uh, that sounds dumb. They want to fuck over business? That's what will happen. I'm sure that they'll choose roads that, you know, you go one one way up one and then you don't go the other way down the other. Like other towns do it. There are towns in, um, I believe Portland does it. Um, and I don't remember where There's else. There's a bunch of towns, like Boise has a bunch of roads like that. Uh, that are one-way streets. It just it just it just creates more more walking space, biking space. Hmm. If you want to ride your horse in downtown, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's dumb, personally. I think we have plenty of space on those roads to do that, and I think the traffic's already congested enough downtown and proper downtown that doing that's just going to harm whatever business is on the wrong side of the road. I mean, truthfully. It's it's well, and this is not like a long term. This is like right now while we're in social distancing and stay home, stay safe. That's what it's for. Is it necessary? Then people should be staying home and staying safe shouldn't and walking around many, downtown Salt Lake. Shouldn't be that many yes, you're right. People, people should be them. staying home. <laughs> so no, <laughs> like I, I just don't. I don't understand how they're like. Well, on one hand, you should stay home unless it's absolutely necessary to be out, and then when you're out, you should social distance. Oh, there's so many people outside. We need to close the roads down so that will close the social distance. That's like well, it's because everybody's too. trying to stay away from each other. Yeah, it's to create. Yeah, it's to create a wider walking space. Is the Just purpose? Fucking walk behind them. That's what my coworker and I do when we go walking. <laughs> plus, plus, if you're you know if you're six feet behind them when they fart, you're not going to smell it as well. Yes, you do. If there's a nice little breeze, like a downwind. If you fucking feel a breeze after someone farts, they got some issues. (laughs) That's not what she meant. (laughs) You're weird. (laughs) She meant the breeze could blow the the smell away. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like they're, I feel like they're, is it really that big of a problem is the question. Like, do we really have that many people on the street that we need to widen it open? Because I'll tell you around here, I'm not seeing that in my neighborhoods. <laughs> Although we are we are seeing some strange people at five in the morning now that didn't used to walk. So, but I don't know because I'm not really spending time downtown at all. I went downtown car shopping Monday evening and there was no one to. But be the seen. the and the places that we went were on the outskirts. They weren't really downtown. So I don't know. I'm just not seeing that many people, but I'm not downtown because I'm um, trying to hold to the advisories and staying home as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. except for when we have to go to St. George and pick up a kid. Yeah, but even down there, wasn't tons of people out. No, and the kids that were moving out at the same time as her were doing really good. Um, we were on the elevator, and there was a kid that, had like a cart and so we were all on one side and he stayed on the other side of his cart and the rest of his family just waited. They're like, okay, well, we'll see you down at the bottom. And, um, so that we weren't packed in. Cause normally, you know, when you're doing that and everybody's moving in and out, you all like squish into the elevator because everybody's been waiting and you're trying to get it down and stuff. And so I think that was really the closest other than like Sean's roommates were also trying to move out and stuff, but we didn't really talk to him or stick around him or anything. So, 
I gave them hugs before I left. Did you? Did you like their? Did you like their faces? It was really awkward. Like some middle aged dude that's like their roommate's dad, just giving them a hug. I almost th- everybody. I almost <laughs> threw away their drug paraphernalia. It wasn't just paraphernalia. It's true. It was all. The, it was all the things. It was in a disguised in a coffee cup out on the patio. And Sean's job was supposed to be cleaning by, off the patio. By disguised in a coffee cup, you mean in a coffee cup? Yeah. <laughs> and so I picked up the coffee cup, and it was heavy. And I thought, oh, who left their coffee out here? That's gross. And I took it over to dump it out in the sink and pulled the lid off. And that's not what was inside. <laughs> and so I tell Sean about that, and she's like, "Well, did you throw that away?" I'm like, "No." She's like. That was my roommate's. What did you do with it? I said, oh, I just put it on the counter. I figured eventually she'd find it. Well, do we want to talk about the penis lady? I guess. I don't know. Penis penis face mask lady. Penis face mask lady. Oh, so when I was reading that article, so there's some lady that posted about um, she's made these face masks, the, the breathing mask things, whatever they're called. Um to, uh, but they have, um, the material has little dicks on it. Yes. And basically, like she said, if anytime get too close, then any, anyone gets close enough to close. recognize what they are, she knows they're too close. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so I she, saw this go viral, like, what was it, the end of last week? And I didn't, I didn't click on it to read the whole thing to know that she was from Utah. And then, this article showed up in my feed today that was like, Utah woman has raised all this money for a local organization. I was like, this is totally rad that this is local. (laughs) Yeah, that was the thing that I was going to say. So the the organization she's raised money for is the Utah Harm Reduction Project, Mm -hmm. of which I was a part of for um, quite a few years. I didn't know that. Yeah, I helped actually start um, an arm through the Harm Reduction Project called the Salt Lake Awareness Project, which was like a dance safe raver thing that I think eventually after I left and quit because I thought it was the policies were really shitty that were trying to be enforced. Um, I think they eventually joined with this bigger national group called dance safe and kind of split off from the harm reduction project. But the harm reduction project has been around for a long time, like at least 30 years, I'm guessing. Mm. Um, They do all sorts of really cool services for, um, not just the homeless population, um, but the the drug population, I guess, is the best way to put it. So I don't know what all they're still doing and who's necessarily involved now. But when I was involved with them uh, years ago, this was before uh, needle exchange was legal. Uh, and they did underground needle exchange work. Um, and they do a lot of educational stuff because, you know, their mission is, you know, essentially, at least at the time, was look, you're not going to be able to stop people from doing drugs. What you can do is help mitigate the damage that doing drugs causes not only to them, but also to the community, to their families, their friends. You can help mitigate a lot of that by making what they do safer, educating them as to what they're doing, and not educating them like, just say no doesn't fucking work. Dare is a stupid program. Um, but if you educate someone like, hey, when you put this into your body, these are the things that are going to happen. This is what you can expect. And this is how you can stay reasonably safe by doing it. Like, don't fucking inject fentanyl if you've never done it before. You don't know who's giving you the heroin to make sure it's heroin and not fentanyl. Um, here's a clean needle so you don't fucking spread hepatitis C all over the damn place or HIV all over the damn place. So they... Um, did a lot of that stuff. Um, um, lot of, lot of stuff. They work very closely with like the Fourth Street Clinic, 
fact, when I was doing stuff with them, I think we were meeting in one of the like conference rooms that uh, the uh, in the Fourth Street Clinic at the time. So um, it was a really cool organization. So I saw that and I was like, oh wow, that's pretty awesome that she's raised Does a bunch the, of. People. I don't remember. Does that article say how much money she's raised so far? I don't think so. I don't think it went into details. I do like that they um, blurred out penis in her post. Yes. And also, don't ask for her to make masks right now because she is, I think she's contracted um, to make a bunch for a company. So that's what she's working on right now. But, uh, I mean, hopefully eventually more people will be walking around with them. (laughs) So anyway, that's kind of a cool thing. Um, I don't know. I don't have a lot of good COVID stories. Jeremy has one about an old lady that's oh, not yeah, in the old Utah. lady in Pennsylvania. So oh, yeah, the beer she, she put a sign in her window that said, I need more beer because she was out of beer. And uh, the local Coors Brewery or shipping department oh, or whatever in, in her area saw it and brought her 100 cans of beer, put it on her front porch. Because she was drinking Coors Light in the picture, and so they brought her Coors Light. No, no, she was drinking Coors Light next to the stacked up cases of Coors Light. no. When she was in the other picture, she's drinking. She had a can of Coors Light. Said, I she need was, more beer. Uh, yeah. I thought that was an after picture. No. Nope. Well, there's two. There's a picture before of her saying she needs beer. And then there's a picture of her standing next to all the beer drinking a beer. Yeah. I I just thought they were. She does look much beer. better after she has the beer than before. I'm sure yeah, she's I much mean, happier now. I would be happy if they brought me a hundred fucking cans of Coors Light. I love Coors Light. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a happy American story beer. yeah good story i have another uh, good story i ordered something from amazon like forever ago i don't actually couldn't even tell you when i ordered it and it came today i had a pack it came from china so it was not <laughs> a like it wasn't um like an amazon purchase even though it was on amazon it was from like a vendor and and it came today. I got home and I was like, I didn't order anything. And I knew somebody was sending me masks. And I thought that's what it was. But then I opened it and I was so excited. <laughs> that's all. That's a good event. <laughs> Customs are open. <laughs> Do you have anything, lady? Do I have anything? Any fun COVID stories? Any good COVID stories? I have three monitors at home. That's. I don't know if that's a good COVID story. It's a COVID story and it makes my life better. Okay. That's a win. Happy COVID story. I don't have any. I'm spent. My my happy COVID is I could work from home for the rest of my life and never, ever be bothered again. Like, I do miss putting on my my shoes and, and my dresses and things you know, like that. You know, you can still do that. You can still do yeah, that. That'd, that'd be weird. In fact, if you... If, if I was working no, in no, no, six-inch no. heels at out. home... Hear me out. If you put on a dress in six-inch heels and just four-went the panties, <laughs> then... We could meet at the water cooler, i.e. the fridge where there's a water dispenser, um, and we could have, like, sexy office time. I don't know if people listening to this podcast want to talk about, like, Chris and Bree's sexy office time at home. That's, like, blurring the lines. This is what we need a Patreon for. (laughs) Patreon for extra We are not recording that. Uh, Just not. Are you sure? uh, We could. No. But I'm, yeah, I'm not putting on my six inch heels to go walk across the hallway to my daughter's bedroom to sit at a desk and work. But it, it's been nice because it's completely temperature controlled to the temperature that I want it to be at all times. It's completely light controlled to the amount of light I By want. By that, at she all means times. dark with a space heater turned up all the way and 85 degrees in the room. Yeah. And nobody complains. Nope. 
No one ever, ever, ever complains. That's I, why I only spend like a minute and a half in there when I go see. It's, it's amazing, and and then I get to pet a, a dog or a kitty or some some sort of animal every time I go to the bathroom because there's always one laying on Sean's bed or our bed or the floor or something, and so like my anxiety is like way down for like work and. I don't know. I really like it. And we figured out how to get me three monitors. That's like the best thing in the world. So I don't know. Corona's really bad, but working from home is really good. Hey, I have an announcement that I forgot. Um, the farmer's markets are still going to be happening this summer, but they will be cashless. Wow. That's uh, an impressive change for some of the farmers. I also wonder if they'll really, we'll see. We'll see what happens when the end of May, early June rolls around. They're, they might have some struggles having them actually occur. We don't know. No, we don't. We don't. That's one of the most frustrating things about all this. So rather than talk more about that, we're going to talk to our guest. Well, um, this uh, this evening, it's not this evening. I know it's this evening now, but when people <laughs> listen to it, it's not the It evening. might not be the evening. I always start out like that. It's weird. Um, for this episode, we're joined by uh, Tiffany Green and Catherine Kitterman from uh, the Better Days organization. Did I get your names right? They aren't like super difficult, yep. so I hope. <laughs> it, it helps on the screen if you hover over them with your mouse, it'll say what their name is. Oh, it does. Look at that. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Like, cause I'm wow, just did Jeremy to... just teach you an IT thing? Well, <laughs> you know, he's bored over there. He's just running his mouse How did around that the screen. <laughs> uh, oh, these are, these are the days. These are the days when people are on their own computers from home. The new Utah social distancing podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, normally it's definitely we're, weird. Normally we're in the studio, so this is a learning curve for all of us. Well, Chris and I are in the I studio. Had... That's true. We are in the studio, technically. We're recording out of the I studio. I threatened to do my next Zoom meeting in front of the starship over here behind us so that, <laughs> they, so that the people at work can see it, but it kind of makes it hard to do my work while I'm doing that, so I can't really do that. Although you could set up all three monitors in I'm here. I'm not going to take all three monitors down here. <laughs> That's not happening. So can you ladies tell us a little bit about uh, the Better Days organization overall? Sure. Better Days 2020 is a nonprofit that was started here in Utah about three years ago. Um, so it's been a while. We were specifically founded because we knew the year 2020 would be big um, for women's history and voting rights, because this is the anniversary year for the 19th Amendment. It'll be 100 years old in August, as also the 150th anniversary of the first time that Utah women gained the right to vote in 1870. So realizing that those two anniversaries would coincide in the same year, our co-founders wanted to do something to highlight um, Utah's role in the suffrage movement, Utah women who paved the way, who fought for voting rights, um, that sort of thing, and especially to focus on education, um, both in schools and in public education events, awareness, that sort of thing, to help us um, as Utahns reclaim some of that cultural legacy to learn about um, and know the stories of the women who came before us and paved some of the way and did some of that hard work that it continues today. So, pop quiz for the the hosts of the show. What episode was the episode we did Martha Hughes Cannon and Sarah, whatever her name was? One of the episodes before this one. <laughs> oh, oh, that's helpful. The other, uh, the other, the other two of you know. Are you are you cheating and looking at show notes, Jeremy? Oh, I'm totally cheating. 
It was the end of January. Um, so Jess, by the way, uh, just still having a search. Why issues. are you scrolling? Because it's easier. Just be quiet. That's no, just look, for Sarah's, <laughs> just look for Sarah's name. Uh, um, it would have been the end of January, you said, Jess? Yes, it was the last Tuesday in January. That is not true, because Philo Farnsworth was the first <gasps> one. Oh, right. They were the first ones. We did it in February. <laughs> they were the February, February ones. <laughs> yes, so, Philo was the first. Uh, there it is, is that right the there. episode with Daisy? No, it was with Martha Hughes Cannon, right there. Where? Go back. You, <laughs> yeah, it was the episode with Daisy. Oh, I don't remember that part. I'm looking at so Sarah. So episode from, number? Uh, 196. 196. That was the episode we had Daisy Thomas on with us as well. Um, so if you go back and listen to episode 196, we talk a lot about Martha Hughes Cannon as our uh, famous Utahan. Um, and um, and I don't remember the other chick's name. Seraph. Seraph? Mm-hmm. Seraph something. It's, she's the one that has... It's Scroll back up. Why do you keep scrolling away from it? I can't. What oh, Seraph Young. Uh, what is wrong Catherine and Tiffany are laughing at us. I am going to go get my laptop because you, you scrolled horribly. I do scroll horribly. So episode 196, <laughs> if you want to hear about Martha and Seraph. Uh, we did a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on them. So Utah has a really cool culture when it comes to... Except for that I forgot I can't because Sean's going to come over and do her lab. So I... I grew up just. I grew up in Wyoming. I didn't grow up in Utah in terms of like where I went to high school and stuff. And uh, Wyoming teaches a lot of Wyoming history in like I don't know what grade it is, sometime in younger kids' school. Um, and a big part of Wyoming's history is also the suffrage movement because they had a, a big role in women's suffrage. Um, how does now? I know that Wyoming teaches that in schools pretty regularly like it's it's a proud thing for wyoming but utah had the first woman to vote utah had the first woman elected official in in a like a congressional house um how in the utah public school system for those of you that went how how is it taught in utah i didn't learn anything about it i didn't know anything about it until i heard about better days so yeah i didn't hear anything about it did you guys no. To be fair, I, I grew up in Arizona, and I don't think I learned about a single woman from Arizona that I can remember anyway. So so Wyoming did better than us? Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? They I was just curious. Well, because that's they, their motto. I think that they're the equality state. So, like, their state motto is really based on that whole suffrage story, right? Whereas yeah. Utah has not had that. And no, but to be fair, Chris was in a one-room schoolhouse and. Grades K through 12 were taught by one teacher. I, look, <laughs> if we're being honest, when I first moved to Wyoming in second grade, the grades were combined. So it was second <laughs> and third grade together, fourth and fifth grade together. Um, and I got to tell the story now because you're making me think back to these days. So I came up, uh, I moved to Wyoming in 89, right at right the year of the Yellowstone fire basically at the end of that year, um, beginning of the year after. And so they were doing a lot of stuff in school about that big fire in Yellowstone, and they were showing videos of the fire and what happened to the animals. They're like, okay, what are some of the things that have happened to the animals that you saw in the video? And I raised my hand. I'm like, well, those those buffalo had all the hair burned off their butts. They're like, have you ever seen a buffalo? Everyone laughed at me because I had never seen a buffalo before because I was from Texas and they don't exist down there. They have long horns in Texas. It's weird. 
So uh, that was uh, that was like that was seriously like probably the second week of class <laughs> for me in the new school. So it didn't go over real well. Uh, but I did go to a school that small. Um, they didn't have a middle school in that that town. Um, the gym and the cafeteria were the same place, and the classrooms were just on the side of it. So there was like no hallways. It was just classrooms and gym. Really tiny school. But yeah, we didn't. Uh, we learned a lot about that stuff in, in part of Wyoming history. Like that's a huge proud heritage point. I don't understand why that's not such a big deal in Utah. That's really weird. But I mean, it's nice to see finally like well, Martha Hughes Cannon. Yeah. So mm-hmm. did you guys have a hand in the, the movement to get Martha Hughes Cannon up at the Capitol? To get that statue up yeah, there? Yeah, so we supported that. Yeah, we supported that effort with historical research and um, rallying some kids uh, to get involved in writing their legislators and things. So that was a proud moment. I think one of the things that um, that I should say that we've also focused on in addition to education is public art, because you realize that what we represent in our statues, in our art, where, you know, in our public spaces really reflects what we value as a society, too. So we, we've been supportive of that effort to send Martha to Washington, as well as a couple other projects here in Utah to try to heighten the awareness and, and the representation of women in our visual culture as well. So you want to take a step back yet, Jeremy? You ready to yeah, ask let's about... take a step back. We'll, we'll start with Catherine, since she said she was raised in Arizona. So where, so is that where you're from? Is that where you come from and where you're born and raised? Yep, Absolutely. So from Arizona, so what brought you to Utah then? Well, first, what month were you born in is the question I have. February. <laughs> February. Okay, so that's... There's the same birthday as like the, the suffrage anniversary in Utah. <laughs> oh, it's true. I was born that's on cool. February 12th, so a big deal. Same day as Abraham Lincoln, too. Um, but yeah, born and raised in northern Arizona. And I came to Utah first uh, to go to BYU for my undergrad. And then I came back here a few years ago. I went away to grad school in D.C. and I'm working on my dissertation now. And um, this was a good place to end up for what I'm researching. So, so early spring, baby, or late spring, baby. I don't know what is May. May. I just try to find out what month you were conceived in because Jeremy doesn't like me asking how you were <laughs> conceived anymore. So I just want to get an idea. Like, were you like a Halloween party baby, or you're just a you're just a spring baby? <laughs> So that makes sense. Parents I guess so. got together in the spring. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is very, very embarrassed by me now. What about you, Tiffany? When did your parents decide to conceive you? <laughs> well, I'm trying to do the math. I've been doing uh, second and fifth grade math all day, so it might be a little tricky for me. <laughs> <laughs> is that the new math? Yeah, correct. <laughs> so I was actually an accidental situation in my family. Like, it was not planned. So I'm going to say probably, like, Summer-ish, sometime? Fourth of July, maybe? Fourth of July. I was accidental, too. It's cool. It happens. I was a shotgun baby. I found out about that like a year and a half ago. Oh. <laughs> I had no idea. My, my parents got married when they were like five months pregnant with me. So that was awesome. That was very intentional. That's why. <laughs> I was so, bought and paid for. Yes. Yes, you were bought and paid for. She was a test tube baby, one of the first in the state. So, so okay. Tiffany, are you from Utah then? I am. I was born here. I, except for a summer that I was a nanny in Maryland when I was a teenager, I've lived here my whole life. So Where about Utah? <laughs> I grew up in Sandy, and I Sandy. currently Woo. live in Mill Creek. 
Very excellent. nice. Excellent. So you guys, how, so you've been in Utah pretty much your whole life, except for that weird, awkward teenage year where you were in Maryland. <laughs> that nanny situation. Getting yeah. shipped off by your parents to be a nanny. That's really yeah. awkward. It was for family, so <laughs> my help. I'm not quite sure if that was then actually needed my help, or my family just wanted me to go away for the summer. I don't know. It could be either. <laughs> so, what about you, Catherine? When did you come to Utah? And what brought you here? Um, yeah, so I came here in oh gosh, like 2005 for for my undergrad, and then came back three years ago um, after grad school. So work brought you back or you just liked Utah and wanted to come back? Yeah, my, all my extended <laughs> families around here. Um, and my husband, we did, we got married three years ago and his job was here. That was the kicker. Um, I'm in a PhD program now that I'm finishing up, but my dissertation is on Mormon women's suffrage petitioning. So I was going to be here a lot anyway. Um, wow. Wow. That's a, that's a heck of a dissertation. Uh, where are you going to school? Are you? <laughs> says I'm a big nerd. Um, no, I'm actually at American University out okay. in D.C., but done with classes, so I can live where I want. That's uh, the story of no, I was just going to say, that's pretty much the right story now. of every college student these days. <laughs> My daughter yes. goes to Dixie State, but she's living in Salt Lake now because she's right. transferring to the U, so. They all said it wasn't possible, and suddenly it is. Hmm. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. People can learn remotely. Um, so how did you guys get involved then with, with this, uh, better days organization? Do you want to go first? <laughs> Tiffany, you go first. I was like, look at it. That's the best part about first. Skype is like, everyone's like, okay, who's going to talk first? <laughs> so stare I... at the camera and hope. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm just going right in there. Um, I came across better days 2020 after they had already established themselves. I came across them on an Instagram post. My aunt shared an Instagram post of the artwork that they commissioned, the local illustrator Brooke Smart's artwork. And I, as a historian, um, I was immediately drawn into it and wanted to get involved. And a couple months later, I just sent them a message saying, um, I'm happy to volunteer to do some historical research or whatever. Um, and they took me up on my offer. So that's kind of how I got involved with it. I would say anytime somebody volunteers, any organization is going to be happy with that. And someone with real skill, too. That was the kicker. <laughs> Thank you. I, I hope I've been an asset, right? <laughs> so is it still is it a volunteer thing that you're still doing? So I, I was a volunteer for about six months and then got hired on as a historical research consultant. So what does a historical research consultant do? Um, I scour newspaper articles from the past and primary source documents trying to find women that we don't know about or more information about women that we know a little bit about, trying to piece together um, some cultural background information for the time, things like that. That sounds like a dream job for me. It has been a dream job for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Tiffany um, ended up writing the biographies for three of the 50 women that we featured in our illustrations, plus a lot of other projects as wow. well. So how about you, Catherine? What are you doing for the organization? Um, yeah, I, I also started off by volunteering. Uh, when I came out to Utah, somebody told me about, do you know that there's this nonprofit doing exactly what you're studying? Um, I was like, what? This is the best. So I volunteered for a while and then um, 
about two years ago when their historical director stepped down to take another position, I was able to take her place. Very nice. So how did the organization, so, yeah. how did the, how did the better days organization kind of form initially? What's the story behind there? It's like three years ago. They're like, Hey, let's, let's uh, make an organization. Women's suffrage is coming up. Let's just, let's put together an NPO and um, do some things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, basically, the the original idea that our co-founders had, and that's Mandy Grant and Nyla McBain, was to focus on public education and and ask the legislature for an appropriation to create some curriculum and make sure that that gets taught in schools. And so they started off by hiring um, our education director, Dr. Naomi Watkins, and she was like, "You're going to need a historian for that too." Um, so it started off with with a pretty small team of a historian and an educator working together. Um, and then we've expanded. We have some people who have done political outreach work for us, financing governance, social media, other things like that as well. But we've been a pretty small, lean, scrappy team for the last three years. So my question – oh, go ahead, oh, Jeremy. Sorry. I was just going to say, how many people do you have in your organization? <laughs> I'm trying to think how many people are on our team calls. Seven? Seven? Yeah. Most of us are part-timers um, doing doing pieces here and there, but – it's been great. We all work from home, um, and that's been uh, something that allows a lot of us to, to get involved, to have other obligations during the day and different things. So it's been really great. So great you've team. been a step ahead of everybody else working from home this whole time? That's right. We used to leave the house sometimes. Um, that's been weird. Um, so our focus originally was on curriculum developing the the artwork that Tiffany talked about. So a, a series of 50 Utah women, things like that. And then in the last six months to a year, we've really been focusing on a lot of events, teacher trainings, presentations, um, community outreach that way. So we're not home too much usually. It's <laughs> been a change. So my question about being taught in Utah is actually really relevant. I had no idea that that's how you guys kind of formed, but so there is no education for it in Utah until you guys came around. So is that now being taught in schools? Have you progressed to that point where you actually have a curriculum that's being taught in schools? Yes. And I was just going to tell you, people listening cannot see you nod your head. You have to be verbal. I've clicked so I can see Tiffany here. Yeah. Um, so we we launched a website, utahwomenshistory.org, um, about two years ago. And that's an educational website that's got one side as resources for teachers and one is for kind of the general public. But that includes multiple lessons for different grade levels for um, elementary school and, and secondary, middle and high school. And those have been out and we've been doing teacher trainings on those for about the past two years. So um as you probably know, you can't mandate what teachers teach um, in school, and especially with social studies standards and curriculum the way that they are, women's issues and topics usually aren't included in those. So, for example, the last time the state redid the social studies um, standards, suffrage wasn't included in that, which is interesting because that's usually the one time that you talk about women's history um, in a state. But so um, without that being a standard, we've found ways that this works in with English language arts instruction, with art or music classes or other things. So... Um, we've trained over 2,000 teachers in this curriculum by doing professional development through the districts or also with the University of Utah in a summer summer um, courses that they offer for teachers as well. So we okay. feel great about that. And then we've partnered with about 100 schools and classrooms 
in the past year to, to talk about Utah heritage, as we're calling it, and to focus on, on sharing those stories of women this year and inspiring kids with that examples of women who lead. Well, that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, have, have you guys then, I guess it sounds like you've had pretty good acceptance from the folks that are, are jumping in to, to take these courses and um, a, a pretty wide adoption than it sounds like. I would say so. Um, uh, there's always some self-selection in who wants to teach this kind of subject, right? But we've found really great support and partnerships with um, the social studies coordinators at the state board of education, with um, social studies coordinators in the districts, with other state organizations as well. So that's been a great um, example connection there. And um, last year, when everyone was talking about the railroad about Spike 150, they brought our educator along to talk about the impact of, of the railroad on women um, as well. So there have been ways that we've been brought into some of the things going on as well. That's really cool. I, I'm still blown up. I shouldn't be surprised that uh, the male-dominated culture in this state, male-dominated legislative bodies, um, didn't change the education curriculum to uh, include any kind of women's suffrage stuff, even though we were a pioneer. I'm guessing they probably won't say Utah was a pioneer in gay marriage either, even though that happened accidentally. I think suffrage, women's suffrage, was a little bit different. It wasn't quite an accident in the state of Utah like uh, like gay marriage was. But we're at the forefront of a lot of, like, really crazy stuff, uh, surprisingly. Well, I think it's one thing to – I'll stop talking after this. Uh, but I think it's one thing to, <laughs> to learn about movements and history and leaders and people in New York City or the California coast or somewhere else. And I think it's another thing to learn about people in your own hometown who were part of that story, too. Um, whether or not they were leading a national movement to think about the ways that people in your own community were participating, were leading, were making change. That really matters, I think, for kids and for all of us to see ourselves as people whose voices matter in our society. And I think that is one of the real strengths um, of focusing on those stories this year is hopefully that we'll be interested in digging even deeper and learning more about the women around us who have led the way and made changes that we benefit from today. And not all of the women in, if you go to that uh, website, not all of the 50 women are specifically tied to the suffrage story. There's other women that saw other needs in their communities and responded in positive ways and made change um, outside of the suffrage movement too. And they, they have Utah connections as well. And like Catherine said, learning about those stories is empowering for us today to know that you you can see the need around you and do something about it. I hope you can hear me. Um, I with your research, Tiffany, when you guys got started with this, like, how did you decide who that first person was going to be in you know, I'm, I need to go find an article. This is going to be my focus. Or did you just start looking through and somebody caught your eye? Well, I've only done three of the 50, right? And when I came on board, they already had probably the first 10 to 20 already done. But so I can speak to the ones that I did. I did one about the first female sheriff in the state of Utah. Oh, deputy wow. sheriff. What was that in 2010? <laughs> <laughs> 97. Her name was <laughs> and um, and so on that one we we kind of had a name and general reference that she was this deputy sheriff. But I had to go digging and finding and and it took a long time to find her because she there wasn't a lot out there. 
So that was one that we got, I got the name and had to do some digging. Uh, another one I did was about a rural woman, a rural suffragist in central Utah. And Catherine had said, we want to do a, a bio about someone who lived outside of the Wasatch Front. And so it was kind of just like a, she said, see what you can come up with. Um, I came up with a couple options and decided on Lucy Hepler, the one that I did, because there was so much information about her as compared to the other women that it was easier to piece together a bio because there was a lot of documentation of, of what she did in her life. And how many of the women that you guys have done have been polygamist wives? Cause that was actually really common in the earlier days of the state. Sure. If you were, if you were a member of the LDS church, right. Um, I don't know. like probably of the suffragists, there's probably quite a few, wouldn't you say, Catherine? Yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, count on my head, on my fingers here. Um, I'm thinking, generally speaking, we had about 20-ish of the early suffragists in, in our 50, and I would think that the majority of those um, in the early, I would, I would probably say 10 to 12, maybe, maybe 15. That that could be wrong. We might have to go check. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to hold you to it, but I mean, it's just, it's an important thing that like people talk about Utah, and while polygamy still exists here, it's not widely practiced, uh, and it's kind of hush hush, uh, and really messed up where it does happen. But that was a big part of Utah's history. Like that was a big part of us becoming a state. Uh, and these women, yeah. you know, you think of polygamy in a sense of kind of where it is now in a lot of the areas in southern Utah, like. It's men controlling people like that's but I don't I don't necessarily know that polygamy was like that um, originally. I mean, the the reason it started, I think, was fairly legitimate. A um, bunch of men died and women didn't have anyone to take care of. them, And that's just kind of the society then. And I think that's where you still get these really strong women that did these really amazing things. Um, the the polygamy that we know now, I think, has been very perverted, not not that I'm a big, huge fan of it in any way, shape or form. I don't, I, it's not for me, but there, there was a time and a place for it, I think. And I think that's why there were some really cool people that were polygamous wives and really strong people. Cause when we talked about the, that, uh, oh, Jess, what was that? The, the place where they, all of the women met and, now I can't think of it. The supper club? Yeah. Oh, or the what, ladies literary. Yes. Those yeah. guys. <laughs> there were there were tons yeah, we of, of polygamous women and and LDS women in there and they were very strong and opinionated and it it's it's different than it was now I I think that well yeah I mean when you think of uh when you think of polygamy now you think of one dude with thirty wives half of them are his like second cousins uh, married <laughs> at the age of fourteen but I think back then I mean we saw it with like for instance with the Eccles um, that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, that was a polygamist family, but it wasn't um, what you would think of. It's it's a dude that has a couple of wives and like six million kids, granted, because apparently that's what you do. Um, but like that, those those women were not like weak women. They weren't, you know, pushed down women. A lot of the early polygamist women in, in Utah in particular were very strong, opinionated women. And Martha Hughes Cannon, Cannon was a polygamist wife, too, wasn't she? Absolutely. She, she was. Do, do she was like, you, do either of you in your, just talking about the Ladies Literary Club, have either of you found documentation that she participated in the Literary Club? I don't think Martha Hughes Cannon was 
Ladies Literary Club kind of came from uh, an organization called the Blue Tea, which Jenny Forsyth started, and she was not a member of the LDS faith and was definitely anti-polygamy. So I would say the Ladies Literary Club, their uh, beginnings was almost founded in the exact opposite, like the anti <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was the impression I got from talking to the the people that own that building now too. Yeah, oh, yeah, we love shooting Dave. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Um, I think back to what you were saying, and Catherine. Catherine's like the true doctorate historian here, so she could correct me if I'm wrong. But I also wonder if the whole thing with polygamy is maybe why Utah's suffrage story has been lost to history because it is complicated and. And it's it's messy and it's not real easy to talk about in clean, clear, clear cut ways, like in one sentence teasers. Right. And so I wonder if it just became easier to not talk about it at all. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, uh, Naomi Watkins, who's our director of education, um, she talks about polygamy shame sometimes. Um, and I think that that's um, one of the issues that has in, in some ways covered up these women's stories. Part of it was. Um, intentional, even at the time, right? So polygamy was really one of the leading factors why women gained the right to vote in Utah in the first place. Then it's the reason it gets taken away. And the whole time, even past 1890, when it officially ends, right, it's a complicating factor in the relationships between Utah women and national groups. And some of them are willing to work with polygamous women, even though they they don't approve of polygamy, and then others won't touch them with a 10-foot pole because of that. Um, but it means that they're their role and their place in the story, even though they really shaped the trajectory of the women's suffrage movement, wasn't something that was always like trumpeted. I think that that's one of the reasons why women in Utah weren't like the national heroes held up, right? Um, it's because there was a lot of complication with that story. Which is really sad because they're, they're amazing women. When we were looking them up, especially Martha Hughes Cannon is, was who we focused on the most. She's a freaking genius. Like, just an amazing mm-hmm. person and to just kind of get get bowled over um, because of a, a religious view is it's not really very fair to her in history because she she really deserved to have more of the spotlight than she got. I think the real question I right agree. now that I think it's yeah. Uh, no, go ahead. That, yeah, go ahead. Also, I was just going to say, I think one of the the issues, I think, is that we still tend to define women by their marital status. Um, even when they were talking about Martha Hughes Cannon's statue, right, there were legitimate reasons to approve or disapprove of the plan. But even the Salt Lake Tribune or other, I don't mean to call it, uh, sorry, I don't, you shouldn't call out the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm not trying to be antagonistic. I like no, them you, a lot. You can call um, them out. I call them out for their stupid business articles, decisions. <laughs> newspaper articles about Martha led with, she was a polygamous wife, a suffragist, a doctor, a state senator. And I just think it's interesting, right? Um, the, the way that we define those women, I think, is still um, more based on their relationship to men than on what they did. Yeah, like why are we defining them as women at all other than to say, you know, they were pioneers in like women's suffrage. It's it's kind of like when you have to identify, you know, someone from the LGBT community, this gay man, blah, blah, blah. Like, why do you have to say that? Because he's still just a guy. He's still a human. But I think the, the burning question that I have now is, Uh-oh. are you two polygamists? <laughs> I just think it's important because from what I from what I know, most of the polygamist women in Utah's history are pretty fantastic people. <laughs> I think that was like yeah, a we'll really weird no compliment. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not in a polygamist relationship. <laughs> 
We're laughing at Jeremy's like he's figured out how to do emotional things on I don't know what other emoticons on on Skype. Oh. <laughs> so, so what what is you know for each of you what is the most interesting woman that you've covered because you know like you said not everyone that you guys have done stuff for is a suffragist uh there are other really important uh historical women in the state of utah what are some of the most inspiring or special women that you guys have have been able to cover that you think that the the group as a whole has done Go for it, Catherine. I'm going to think for a second. <laughs> yeah. That's messed up. She's like, I'm going to think. You take so, this. <laughs> I, there are so many. Really, each each of the 50 women that we have featured, plus others that we've learned about, becomes a new favorite for so many reasons. Um, so so it's difficult to pick favorites. But one of the stories that, um, that I've been most interested by for the past two years is Alice Kasai. Um, and she's a Japanese-American woman. She was born in Seattle, but um, grew up in Price in Carbon County, Utah. So graduated from high school there, came to Salt Lake City, married. She and her husband were the first Japanese-Americans to live in the avenues in Salt Lake City um, and just had a pretty normal life for a while until World War II broke out. And um, as you may know from the history, most Japanese-Americans who were living in Utah were not sent to internment camps, but because Henry, Alice's husband, was a leader in the community, he was sent away to a camp. So the government interned him in Montana, and that was a big deal, right? They have some kids at home. Um, I guess can't imagine living in wartime in all of the scary things that would be happening then, and then to have your some of your family ripped away from you unjustly, to not have any way of recourse. But Alice really stepped up and became a strong community leader during that time. So she led the Japanese American Citizens League out of her home in Salt Lake City. They worked with families who were interned in camps here in Utah, like so down in Topaz. They worked to try to help them send relief and gather supplies and things like this. And they also really lobbied to get people out of the camps, right, fighting the unjust decision by the government. And it took a long time. Henry was away for more than two and a half years. But Alice then continued to work for the rest of her life to try to increase peace and social harmony and understanding between cultures. She felt like that was really important that people needed to learn from each other and also to fight racial injustice and bigotry in Utah in, in many other forms. So she and her husband worked together to start um, peace building programs in the sense of like a peace garden that would highlight different cultures and um, starting student exchange programs, sister city programs more chances to learn from each other. And she also did things like working with the PTA to help make sure that students of color got support in schools. And they fought against the interracial marriage ban and helped get that overturned in Utah in the early 1960s. So Alice was a real powerhouse. And I think in, if you look back in community records and you see who is leading different organizations and doing whatever, she's always there um, as part of that leadership. And, and she really had an experience in her own life that could have made her um, and I'm sure it probably did make her bitter in some ways or, or, or sad, upset, all of those things. But I think it's interesting that she turned that experience with injustice in her own life into a way to motivate her to advocate for others and to try to eradicate those kinds of experiences in other people's lives. I think that's a huge, a huge lesson for all of us. Um, and she did so much as a leader in the community in in Utah here, not only for Japanese Americans, but for other people of color because of, because of what she went through herself. That's really cool. I had not heard of her before. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, she's in a 
impressive woman. Um, and now uh, Tiffany has a hard follow up, and you can't say <laughs> you can't say samezies, <laughs> Tiffany. Samezies. <laughs> no, no, that would be lame. Um, I kind of have two that have come to mind. One uh, is Helen Zeese Papa Nicholas. She is more um, more current, like almost in my life, like during my lifetime, I guess. Um, I think I relate to her a lot. She's a historian that um, started the Peoples of Utah project that I'm not quite sure that it still exists. I'm sure in some form it probably does, but she, she did a lot. She grew up also in Carbon County, interestingly enough, like Alice um, in Price, I think. And she did a lot to bring the voices and the histories of Utah to the forefront back, you know, in the eighties and nineties, um, you know, she was Greek herself. So she had the represented that community. She wrote a book called the peoples of Utah that talks about lots of different communities that were outside of the majority community here. Um, and so as I've done some historical research, I, I go back to her book a lot to find context for different communities and, and things like that. Um, the other one that I would mention is Elizabeth Taylor. She went by Lizzie. Uh, she lived in Salt Lake City in the 1890s and kind of at the turn of the century. She was a leader in the African-American community here. She and her friends Alice Nesbitt and Ida Hines ran so a Republican club. For not the famous Diamond Heiress then. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lizzie Taylor was not that Elizabeth Taylor. Um, <laughs> She, she ran a newspaper with her husband here in Salt Lake. The It was on Commercial Street, which is just north of where Nordstrom is in City Creek now. So obviously the building's not there anymore. But she ran uh, the Plain Dealer was what it was called. And at the turn of the century, she uh, sent out a circular to women, African-American women all over the Western United States from Kansas and Wyoming and Oregon and invited them to come to Utah to be a part of the Western Federation of Colored Women is what it was called at the time. And they came here in the summer and met in the city and county building and advocated for the rights of African-American women um, there. They, she also printed a newspaper as part of that federation, in addition to her plain dealer. Um, and the, the banner of that, like the, the motto of the newspaper was to help the fallen um, she was a founding member of the Trinity AME Church, which is important for the African-American community here in Salt Lake. Um, and it, her story was very interesting to me because I, growing up in Utah, I didn't ever hear about African-Americans who lived in Utah or let yeah, alone who led their communities here in Utah. So finding her story and digging up some more information about her I remember one night I was trying to find information about her and I came across a newspaper article from 1895 that talked about how she and those women that I mentioned, Alice and Ida, they had had like a rally in Salt Lake. Um, and I was just so excited. And it was it was just this big aha moment, that kind of just recognizing that there was so much history that's so rich and so full that, like you said, I wasn't taught in, in elementary and and uh, in high school growing up here. Just listening to these stories, I mean, women are still fighting for all, I mean, all of our rights, but to have these, you know, these women, the Helens, the Elizabeths, the Marthas that 
are like, you know what? We're changing things. And they did. And this wasn't even the 1900s yet. It's just so incredible. Yeah, it's really empowering to me as a lifelong Utah. Is that how you say it? <laughs> it's been really meaningful to me in really important ways to have these stories be a part of, feel like it's a part of my story now too. So who does the art on your site? I think one I'm, thing I'm... we see. Yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I can ask that question. No, minute. sorry. I'll just jump in really quick to say, I think it's, it's also really um, good for all of us to see women as leaders, right? So like, boys and girls, men and women, we can all learn from the stories of women and men in our past. And um, it's really, I think it's really helpful when we see women as leaders and and as examples of different characteristics and attributes that we want to develop ourselves. Well, I I think we've heard of plenty about plenty of men uh, in our lifetimes. All of us, even us men have probably heard about plenty of men. I think hearing more about the fascinating and amazing women uh, is certainly something that's that's good for everyone. I, I'm curious because when you guys were saying the names, I was looking them up to put them in my notes, make sure I spell them right. And of course, as I start, you know, typing in what I think their names are, boom, your site pops up really quickly, and I can see all the biographies. One thing I notice is most of them have unique art, and there's some that have have pictures. But who do you guys commission to do your art? Because it's all very similar styling. It's uh, Brooke Smart. She is a local illustrator, and she is insanely talented. Those 50 illustrations are just amazing. They tell, they not only have the the person in it, but each picture tells a story, right? And when you're, especially because there's such an emphasis on the education side of Better Days 2020, if you're teaching young people about things in the past, and adults too, I guess, <laughs> you can only look at so many black and white photos of people before you're like, they all look pretty much the same, right? And so to have them brought in this colorful, really engaging way, I think has been a real highlight of what Better Days 2020 has done. You guys even have your own license plates. That's awesome. Yes. Yep. (laughs) So how do people get a license plate if they want one? Yeah, you can go to the DMV or on our website, but you don't have to go into the DMV, even pre-coronavirus days. It's it's quick, <laughs> painless online. They'll mail it to your door for $21. So. Although, to be cool. fair, the only division of the DMV that is fast is the one where you register a vehicle and get license plates. Like, that <laughs> has always been super fast if you're going to get your driver's license. Unless you go to the Draper one. <laughs> no, is it? The one on the hill, Bluffdale, Bluffdale, technically. Does the money for the plates, do you guys get a portion to the organization? Yeah, on this one, it just actually covers the cost of the plate. So it's not a fundraiser in that way, but it's great to show that representation. Again, I think we're, we're part of the hope was to make this more engaging because we want these stories to not be boring, right? They're interesting and, and real and fascinating, but also the idea is just to get some more public representation out there. So I love watching for those license plates, and I hope when people see them, they think, what? And and Google it. So what's coming up for you guys? Do you have any events? Do you have any projects? Do you have anything coming up? Yeah, we, we have a lot of exhibits that are in buildings that are closed right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, for, for example, um, Brooke's original 50 illustrations are part of the state's traveling exhibit program. Um, so they'll be continuing to travel the state through the next two years in various locations. So that's an exciting thing. It's really fun to see all of them in person together. 
And also larger prints of those illustrations are up on the fourth floor of the Utah Capitol through the end of the year. Oh, so that's cool. if you get a chance um, later on when things are open, go up there, walk <laughs> around that fourth floor gallery. It's it's really beautiful to see them all together. And we have um, some other objects that tell a little bit of the story of voting rights um, from 1870 and beyond um, as that work continues today in Utah. Um, we also have a couple events that we hope will happen this summer. We're working with cities and towns across the state in a Utah heritage campaign to kind of brand their 4th of July, their local festivals, things like this, and, and include something about the women in their local communities. Um, so fingers crossed that people are able to get together <laughs> in the same spaces this summer, but we're pivoting. We have some other ideas that will come up um, as well. But one of the big things I'm excited about is in August, um, we'll be unveiling a new memorial on the grounds of Council Hall that's right south of the Capitol building. And that's where the first woman's vote took place in Utah. That's the building where Seraph Young cast her historic vote. It's been moved to that location. Um, but the memorial that will be installed there honors both the first voters, but also the expansion of voting rights that took place following that. So uh, there's multiple door frames and a path gets wider. Um, so you can kind of set yourself in part of that scene as the path grows, um, as more people gain voting rights throughout history as you walk through it. So really excited about that. That should be opened at the end of August. Do you guys do anything with um, voting itself? So, I mean, this is the 150th anniversary of women's suffrage and, and voting rights in the state of Utah. And um, we have an election, a really big election coming up <laughs> in November. Do you guys do anything to try and drive women to exercise that right to vote? Um, or is that just not part of your mission statement? Yeah, so we've partnered with organizations who do that, especially Voterize. Um, so, for example, at our, our, our information booths and tables and things, we have cards for them, and we've included them in our events as well. So we're driving people to them. And also we helped with the sponsoring of the legislation that created Utah Women's Voter Registration Day on February 14th. So that's been a thing, and we've celebrated that um, both last year and this year. Can you help get Jessica off the RNC mailing list? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no joke. No connection I really, here. Sorry to say. I, yeah, I get, I get mail from like states that I don't belong to. So I don't know Lindsay how. Lindsay Graham's her buddy, her personal <laughs> friend, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> so, what other sorts of stuff do you guys do? I mean, you've got the the artwork, you've you've got the educational stuff, um, and and some of the installations. What are some of the other things that that you guys do? Uh, kind of on an ongoing basis as part of the organization. I think this spring we've done a lot of doing presentations for groups of people. Um, most of them have been groups of women. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, we just kind of share the the general voting history and kind of bring these women's stories. Uh, some people know about you know, the main ones, Martha Hughes Cannon, some have heard of Emmeline Wells, things like that, but bringing these more lesser known women just to the popular knowledge, like the cultural knowledge that we have. So we've been doing a lot of presentations this spring. Yeah. I mean, the website's actually laid out really well once you get into, you know, the, the explore the history area where you can start to see like by county famous women and you see like I don't know how many people know who Elizabeth Hayward was or Anna Piercy 
Um, and there's write-ups on all of them. It's, it's really a, a fascinating site with a lot of great content that we'll probably steal at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> More people know about it. I mean, that's the point. Like, it's not meant to just be housed in. That was a, another thing kind of early on, Better Days found out that there there are lots of research uh, there has been lots of research done on some of these women, but it's stuck in like academia, right? And and normal, not that academia is not normal. Sorry, Catherine. Um, <laughs> She's no, true. you sick burn. <laughs> the average person not getting a doctorate degree doesn't know how to navigate those all those papers and theses and things like that, and so just kind of pulling those stories out more into the public sphere in a more public history facing way is, is really important. Yeah. And we're always looking for more stories. So we're continually adding and updating there. And um, we've been working with a lot of local historical societies and anybody else who wants to shoot us an email, but if people have stories from their own family history or someone that, you know, from your town, we'd love to hear about that and add them. I mean, who knew there were just as many famous women that were important to the progression of society as there were men? Women. That's <laughs> we're pretty much aware that every time a man does something, that there's a woman that did like three other things. Have you guys thought about having like a, a guy do the like do audio voiceovers of all your content on your web? <laughs> Like you could have like you could have like a woman reading it, and then you could have like a link that is mansplaining. <laughs> or like, interesting. I would do that for you guys for free. I think it would be fun. Or I could just mansplain what the woman did. Catherine said that would be interesting. I think that was a really polite way of saying. <laughs> <laughs> did you notice how I just like I'm just bowled right social over experiment. her? Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that is tricky for us, and. Um, I wouldn't say tricky. It's a fun and interesting challenge is that it's men's voices in the historical record, right? So even when we've been talking for the past couple of weeks about the anniversary of Utah's constitutional convention, which was where women regained the right to vote in Utah, but it's men who were the delegates and men who were debating women's voting rights, right? So the record and what's written in the newspapers and printed in the newspapers are a lot of great quotes and, and, you know, great oratory, um, but it's men's words talking about women. And so we've dug as deep as we can to try to find what the women were doing at the same time, right? Women who were writing petitions, who were sending signatures, who were listening in on in the galleries to those speeches, right? But whose voices weren't on the floor. So a way to try to, to honor their voices as well, um, which is a little bit harder because there's a lot less um, easily accessible. The men weren't like, and her bustle looked amazing on the floor today. <laughs> I don't know if that's how they talked back in like 1850s. <laughs> no, it was like it was closer to like the 1900s. We're like Victorian. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and those women's voices are there. Like we have found, even if we maybe don't have like direct quotes from them, we found a lot of. Um, you know, these they had suffrage associations throughout the state, like county and towns had these suffrage groups of women. And we have the minute books of some of them. So we have some of their words. But we also have found that they also hand wrote their own newsletters and distributed them to their communities, mm -hmm. um, you know, down in places like Iron County, all the way up to Brigham City up in 
whatever town the Brigham City's in that I can't remember right now. Fox Elder. For, <laughs> for the research, because you have a bunch of people writing about these incredible women, was there an opportunity to reach out to families that might have these women's histories? Because I know in my family, we we have a lot of cool things. Like my great-grandfather owned like the first TV in Utah County. <laughs> So, but all of that's documented, you know. So, did you have an opportunity to talk? Did your organization have an opportunity to talk to families? Yeah, we've reached out where we can. So, we've put things online saying, like, send us your stories and things like that. And then we've also gone to local historical societies as kind of a first way, or like, think Daughters of Utah Pioneers, people who have a lot of family history connections there. And usually we just ask them to tell us who we should talk to. Um, a lot of this is just. Um, finding the right people to ask, but we're, our, our DMs are open. Uh, you can email us or send us a message on social media anytime. And we have come across some really great family connections. Um, sometimes even when we post about a woman, then we find more of her descendants. So that's fun. Yeah. That story about Lizzie Taylor, um, her, the, the person who wrote that bio did reach out to her family, her descendants, and they were helpful in writing that story. Not it's not always the case that you can find descendants to talk to, but when that has been an option, I think a lot of the bios included that kind of information. Yeah, and I should say that Brooke and and our team worked very closely with the descendants when we had contact with them to go back and forth on the illustration and the sketches and ask them, you know, like how do you think she should be portrayed? Or we would find out things like what are their favorite colors? Or somebody was like she never wanted to be profiled or like portrayed head on. She always wanted only her profile to show, you know, things like that, that, and the family could, could help us to understand, to portray them in a more authentic way. I want you to know if you portray me, don't ever put me in pink or blue. No, no. When you die, I'm burying you in a pink dress. (laughs) She has a, I'm coming back to haunt you. That's okay. I'll die shortly afterwards. from fighting heaven. Well, how, speaking of speaking of you know people sending you DMs, how how do they get a hold of you if they they want to contribute or volunteer or anything like that? Yeah, you can always send us a message on our social media platforms. So we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Better Days Twenty Twenty, so two zero two zero, or info at Better Days Twenty Twenty dot org is the best way to reach us. So after um, twenty twenty. Um, what are the the future plans of your group? Because or does it just collapse? It, it, just on <laughs> December thirty first, does it just implode and that's it? Hopefully not, right? <laughs> yeah. It is harder to get people to give you money when there's not an anniversary coming up. I will say that. <laughs> but um, our plan is to to pivot and continue in some form to keep talking. We think that this big anniversary year is a doorway opening up to talk about more women's stories an opportunity that hopefully can continue and grow in the future. Well, ladies, we have um, one other question for both of you. This Um, is really important. You have to answer it separately. You you both live in Utah. One of you has been here your whole life, um, other than the weird, awkward nanny years. Uh, (laughs) The other one, the other one has come left and come back by choice. um, Somewhat. Your husband. (laughs) Again, men dictating what women do, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> um, but what's one thing? Uh, what's one thing in Utah that you guys couldn't bear to part with? 
Do, 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 do. They're both, they both have For me, it's the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, I would say just being able to have such quick access to being outside in gorgeous, gorgeous spaces. Except not right now. No, you can go outside well, in gorgeous can. spaces. You just can't. You can't go to a state park or a national park that's not in your county. And you can't go in a big group. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. No, guys. I think that's definitely part. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just going to thank you guys for for joining us. It's been a very fun conversation. Um, I'm I. I I saw the the stuff and I told Bree you have to go dig around on their site because I think you'll be and like, I should have and I I just head over heels in love with these guys. I have just as much work at home as I do at work and it's harder to turn it off because it's just in the other room and then my daughter comes over and does her labs on my computer because Excel doesn't run on her Mac and oh my gosh so <laughs> it's a whole yeah thing. we're all there right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, at least you don't have to teach them Common Core math. At least they're in college and don't. It's, ask for I don't. Yeah, it, they can't ask me for help. Sometimes they're Snapchatting me and their homework is in the background, and I'm like, well, I don't even know what that is. What I, don't, I couldn't even classify the class that's in because my oldest daughter's graduating with a degree in biology, and I'm like, I don't even know what you're doing. So, good luck with that. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, ladies, so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks again to uh, Tiffany and Catherine from Better Days 2020. Um, Catherine spells her name right. She spells it like Catherine spells it in Anne of Green Gables. Catherine. Check out their website. It's pretty cool. Their website is really good. It's utahwomenhistory.org. Women's history, not Utah women history. (laughs) (laughs) They should probably get that one, too. I'm sure it's available. Um, but uh, it's a really good website. Um, so I would uh, go check that out. It's lots of really fun stories. There's some really cool old buildings there as well. Yep. In uh, some some pictures of some of the really old buildings that they used to meet in. Um, if you liked what you heard, fantastic. Uh, thanks for listening um, during this corona time when you have so many other options at your disposal at home. And not the and good corona time. No, no. Um but uh, share it, uh, share the episode, uh, like us on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, at TNU Podcast or the New Utah Podcast on Facebook. Uh, we also um, have a website, thenewutah.com, which is full of lots of cool content. It's not just us reposting our episodes. Uh, the stream feed is there if you really want to listen to stuff. But there's there's in-depth write-ups on some of the stuff. Jess does a really good job with that. Um, there's a bunch of the one things uh, that are out there, some of which you'll be able to do, um, most of which you <laughs> probably can't. If you want to go take a hike up in the mountains, there's a lot of guests that have said the mountains and hiking. Now's a great time to do it. Um, you know, just keep your distance. Um, don't go to one of the really popular ones that are full of fucking people. Um, stay away from state parks unless you live in that county. Um, but, um, you know, try and, uh, do something with this time, uh, get to know your partner a little bit better or whatever. Or clean out your heat vents. Yeah. Spring clean. (laughs) I don't fucking know. But thanks. Thanks for joining us. Good night.